Hello, welcome to FIU Tech Conversations. This is Neil Ramsey. I am coming to you today with interviewing Lindsay Britton Collins from, are you in New York City at the moment, Lindsay? I am in New York City. I'm in my, my new studio in NoHo. Lovely, wonderful. And, um, well, I, Lindsay has an extensive uh, background and I, think it's always best in this particular case that I'm going to ask Lindsay to introduce herself in terms of as an artist and her practice and then we will get into further conversation so welcome Lindsay it's so good to have Same. you here um, thank you happy to be here and this is as I uh, may have mentioned to you before this part of the series that FIU tech conversations this one is called tech doesn't mean you plug it in and we sort of expand or we do expand the conversation just beyond the um, modern usage of the word technology. And we sort of imply and we, we give some reverence to its original um, meaning. So without further ado here, um, I would like to ask you a little bit about your background, how explain your practice. Um, it's, it's definitely multimedia and different um, uh, disciplines or uh, a mix of disciplines. So let me allow you to explain your practice to our audience. Sure. So I'm a visual artist and I work mostly in painting, also collage, um, experimenting with sculpture and installation. And my work, um, my work is about documenting and archiving my experience within the built environment. I create, I call them architectural abstractions. Um, that again, narrate, narrate my experience. And I'm really interested in um, archiving and documenting the history and storytelling of, of different neighborhoods or, um, yeah, storytelling of neighborhoods, history, rich history that's embedded in the architecture. So making sure those stories um, live within my work as neighborhoods change. And um, yeah, I, there's so much to it. I don't even. I don't even know where yeah. to begin. Um, but that's kind of the long and, and short of it. And I kind of arrived at this this way of art making in a very roundabout way. So my background um, is is non traditional in the sense that I studied architecture. Not sorry. I wish I studied architecture. Yeah. But I I studied economics and sociology, and then went on to get my MBA. So I really bring um, kind of this critical analytical side um, to the work that I do and through the to to the challenges um, yes. and stories in in my work. I, I say that economics is a nosy science. Um, so uh, maybe for the audience and you, you and I know this, but we share somewhat in, in this uh, discipline and the background and the study of economics and also the our love of architecture. Um, that's what I always say, that's what brought me to this country and what I started studying at first. And then, you know, and you're talking about the, these uh, architectural histories and abstraction of such. Um, and, you know, I, th I don't think it's uh, unfamiliar for many of us to, to recognize and realize within our time, you know, the short or long as it's been, you know, one of the things, especially today that seems almost ubiquitous, especially in urban areas, is the amount of cranes and the amount of development. Mm -hmm. And 
And I always say, you know, sometimes you drive or you haven't visited a place in some time and it's just almost unrecognizable or certain landmarks. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to find one's way around just because things just don't remain the same. Um, now, mm -hmm. in terms of, uh, you know, how you're approaching this, uh, this history and these, these, <clears throat> these, let's call them landscapes, these urban landscapes, so can you give us an example of the sorts of histories that you are delving into and maybe really, really keen on focusing or identifying if there is one? Sure, I think um, definitely I have an interest and a focus on African-American history. And I tend to focus on neighborhoods um, or built environments that I've spent, spent a lot of time in or have lived in. Um, so my family's originally from the DC area. So definitely done a lot of work archiving um, the rich black history that's in DC through my work. And um, for my MFA and my MBA, I studied at Columbia. So Harlem has been a huge site of inspiration and focus for me um, in terms of the rich black history that's there, the architectural history that's there. Um, and again, I'm based in New York City and, and the city is constantly changing. Um, and Hudson Yards is a, a, a relatively new development that I've um, done a lot of work on and, and tying that development um, to housing projects in Harlem. Um, so lots, lots of storytelling. I'm really interested in kind of unearthing um, backgrounds and stories that really haven't been shared. And with Harlem in particular, it's, it's a really important place and site of observation, just because that is kind of how or where this way of working began. So when I was in business school, I, I took a class called Social Impact Real Estate Investing. And remember my, my slip up in the beginning, I didn't study architecture, but I secretly wish I did. So I've, I've always been kind of trying to get as close to it as I could. And um, this, this real estate development class was a way, way to do it. And it was under the social impact arm. So you know, I thought we would be doing good. So that made me feel good. I was really, I was really, really excited about it in hindsight, a little naive on my part, but still. I like the way, I like the way you set us up. I thought, <laughs> I thought, I thought we would be doing good. <laughs> right, that's, that's kind of how they pitched it. Mm -hmm. And while I was going through it, I thought I was, I was doing good, but it took reflection post class, you know, post the completion of the class to fully realize, you know, what I had just experience and what just happened. So to take a step back, while, while I was in this class, um, the professor was from a large investment bank and they have a social impact development arm and they were doing a lot of developments, new development projects in Harlem. Again, as I mentioned, Columbia is in Harlem. Um, so, you know, right at home. And for our assignments, we would have to put together deals um, for these projects that the bank might potentially take on. And again, while I'm going through it, I'm like, okay, this is great. We're gonna um, improve the neighborhood. There's gonna be some sort of social and societal good yeah. through this sounds project. Very, sounds very practical. Sounds right. like really good experiential <laughs> learning. <you know? laughs> sounds like it until you realize like the people that are putting together these deals and these plans for these developments, like me and my classmates, like we weren't from the neighborhood, right? We, Columbia is, kind of in the neighborhood, but we didn't live there. We weren't from there. Um, we weren't the ones that were in need of um, these projects that were, um, that were 
being built. Mm. And at the end of the day, and this is what really like stuck with me over the years, at the end of the day, our grade was based on profit maximization. It wasn't based on community oh. impact. It was based on, and I'm shocker, right? <laughs> it was based on how much money can this development make? And the, the variables within this model were all the social good components, right? There wasn't anything um, in terms of profit maximization that could be compromised. When at the end of the day, to make a better project, it was all the things that were good for the community that were getting compromised um, to make, and I'm using air quotes when I say this, a better building. Um, so that, again, while I was doing it, I wasn't fully aware of what was happening. And it took me being out of that class, going back to Columbia, being back in Harlem for my MFA and walking around Harlem and seeing you know, the developments that had come up and the sites that we were um, doing plans for um, to kind of recognize the impact of what we did um, and how easy it was to reduce community members down to a variable point within you know, an Excel model, within a, within a spreadsheet. It was very dehumanizing. Um, so all of that stuck with me and kind of inspired me to leverage my knowledge and my background on the business side and that firsthand experience in terms of what goes on when developments um, in underserved communities are, are built um, to kind of start conversations through my artwork um, to be able to, again, tell stories of the community that is there or was there as these projects are being built and making sure their voices aren't lost. Again, these changes are happening so fast and if someone doesn't do it, if you don't do it in time, it's completely lost. Um, and also I wanted to create, I think, I think if, if you're a member of the community and you hear, okay, a new development's coming up and it promises X, Y, and Z, it sounds good, right? You're not really questioning much. You're just being sold this kind of nice package. Sounds good. But you're not fully aware of the full implications um, on the community of these types of development projects. Then sitting on the other side um, from the developers or the banks or you know, the, mm -hmm. the architects, the people that are putting these plans together, you have an idea, you're the ones deciding what you think is best for the community. So in my mind, art was kind of that, that bridge. It was a way cool. to bring two different sides Mm -hmm. um, to the table and start a conversation. Something that's accessible, I think everyone can find an entryway. Um, there's kind of no gatekeeping. Um, and this, this ties into abstraction and why I work in abstraction. I think abstraction is beautiful in that mm. it, it is open and it's not narrow and people can you know, make their own understanding of the visual language. Um, so it felt, it almost felt fair. It felt um, yeah, yeah, just like a fair way to start the conversation. Yeah, you had to sign some good. You had to bring some good to this thing that you were thought, thinking was going to be good. <laughs> mm -hmm. But but I mean, I mean, and I'm not, don't want to actually take away from that because I think it's quite, it, you know, from what you're telling me, it sounds, it's like it was a pivotal, pivotal moment and maybe an invaluable, even though it was not something that you 
thought it was going into it, it seems as though it was an invaluable experience and maybe something that was really pivotal to how you actually are approaching your career, if we want to call it that, and, and how you're treating and taking this subject. And it reminds me a little bit, I'm going to bring up something that, you know, um, because you you know you sort of we mentioned you know the, the social impact and you, we thought it was doing good, and I'm going mm -hmm. to stick with that because for so you know um, I think maybe there might be two schools of thought here, or I'm sure there are actually more than two schools of thought, but we'll just raise yep. two. Is that sort of you know the individuals and these individuals don't know or don't care um, about <laughs> the the qualitative and they utilize it in order to sort of justify a quantitative but the quantitative is not transparent in terms of you you know you, you're working on it but you don't really because we're using very qualitative terms and feel good terms and 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 making the rhetoric sounds like we're doing this good thing for somebody else and they don't know any better and then but underlying yep. what you're discovering when you go into the granular aspect of it is that you are working very much on satisfying an institutional profit motive and i and 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 frankly i've coined this we design designing for profit right so what's yep, that's exactly what it is it's all design um yep. and i think you know the the expansion of the word or the the way we think about design and just come away from the idea about design as a finished uh, object or something that is an aesthetic, or we, you know, we polish something, make it look good, make it pleasing, make it palatable. But if we think about the, the layers of design, and design goes way, way, way. It's almost like if we, you know, that's I, you know, an analogy would be a tree. You know, we often in our society and in, in in the public realm, we think about design as the beautiful flower that comes out on the tree during spring, and woo. Mm -hmm. But really, the design process is from the roots all the way to that and all along the life of the tree and it's it's sort of a it's a process and a consequence and the thing that you're making me think about um this had come up in a previous um podcast not not within the context here but it was within the context of these of a, a academic or learning institution and that was a term that was called the institutional promise um and i'm not going to delve into it i think that's a different talk show but it, it just to highlight where I believe that in this conversation, and, and I think it applies here, that we have these, um, these, these uh, I wouldn't say unspoken, they are very much spoken, these institutional promises where we are supposed to receive this, uh, we are supposed to be del delivered a better way of living, we are supposed to be given an opportunity, and all of these things are provided by the institution. And the reason I bring it up is the institutional promises, because sometimes what we are discovering or what we are really discovering now often is that that promise is not holding. Um, it's not holding, uh, holding water. It's not holding in the inclusivity. It's not holding in the co-creation. And it's not really holding yeah. in terms of asking and understanding what it is that people need and it's still coming from this point of view where the institution knows best and all for many and you just highlighted that um yeah i i totally agree with that and i think it goes back to what you said right at the end of the day it's designing for profit the institutional 
promise only exists. No, I'm not gonna say it only exists. Mm -hmm. It exists in parallel. It exists in parallel with profit making. And the two, um, the two are in conflict. They butt heads and, and one seems to take priority over the other. And I think at the end of the day, right, the institutions know at a baseline what a community needs, right? You need safety, you need housing, um, you need access to light and water um, and green space. These basic needs at a minimum should be met. I think it's too much. I've found that I think architecture can't solve everything, right? It's too much pressure on architecture and design to solve all of the, the problems that exist within a community, but mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a starting point. Um, and I think it's a unique, I'm gonna use this word because it, it fits nicely within the podcast. It's a unique technology um, that, you know, kind of has tentacles into all facets of, of life. Um, it's something you can't escape. Um, no matter on your day-to-day, -day, you're going to engage with the built environment. So how can the built environment and how can design create value and make our life easier and better, um, not worse? And I, I don't have the answer. Um, I, I think about it a lot. And I don't think there is an easy answer because if there was, we would have figured out a better way. But all I know is, right, the way that things are currently done doesn't work. The system is broken. Um, so through my work, I just call attention to um, these issues or my observations that sure. maybe most people wouldn't have thought about. Um, again, not to find a solution, but at a minimum to start a conversation Absolutely. Um, things begin. I think things. And I think I. I am a advocate or proponent. I think everything should begin or begins, not should, begins with a dialogue. Um, and if we can at least create a space or an environment for dialogue, which you and I both know, and I'm sure our audience realizes that art, I think, is the great dialogue starter. Mm -hmm. Often, um, if we take it responsibly. Um, you know, I, and I do believe there is a, a responsibility with it there because uh, as so many things today could just be um, sort of washed over with a superficial stroke. Oh yeah, art is the ref, you know reflection of society and, and these things. But I still think these things need to be approached with a responsibility because as um, words and these things can be weaponized and can be misdirected or or and, and, I, and I'm saying this because I know you do extensive, extensive research. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's okay to uh, hone in because you mentioned Hudson Yards and you could tell me if we want to talk mm -hmm. about it or not, because I was very fortunate to have a studio visit with you in um, uh, one of the World Trade uh, Towers. Um, and I, I recall distinctly, which was just so, I mean, it, it's in your face, but it's so powerful, is watching your paintings, watching your work, 
understanding that you're treating this real estate and by default, an economic system. Um, mm -hmm. Because I will just say that I think a lot of the reasons where, you know, design cannot be burdened with all of these solutions, um, because I don't think a single discipline can actually solve mm -hmm. all of these nope. um, very systemic issue things. But one of the things that I do believe is very much responsible for the way our built environment looks is the economics or the economics of things. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to bring up Hudson Yards because out when you look out the window and you could see this, um, it almost just looks like a brand new city in the middle of the city. Yep. <laughs> and that's that's essentially what it what it is. I mean, do you want to say anything about it um, in terms of it being in your daily purview and and maybe how it influenced maybe a body of work that you were working on or anything? Yeah. Um, so I've I've made a whole body of work and I continue to make work about the Hudson Yards development. Um, aside from its architectural interest, I will use that word. It's visually interesting. Um, what initially drew me to really pay attention to the development was its tie back to Harlem. Again, I this was um, when I had my studio in Harlem when I was back at Columbia and I was really focused on, um, on that community. And I learned about how Hudson Yards essentially was able to extend the number of um, foreign investor visas for the development by gerrymandering a map that connected Hudson Yards. And I will try to be as descriptive as possible for those who aren't from New York City, but essentially Hudson is Yards EB? is in the- is yep. that, I'm sorry, is yeah, that the, the EB? Okay. Yeah, the EB-5 visa. So Hudson Yards is um, all the way west, kind of in the Southern mid tip, the Southern middle part of the city. Harlem is in the Northern part of Manhattan. So what the developers did was they gerrymandered a map that connected Hudson Yards through Central Park, which is in between um, Hudson Yards and Harlem, all the way up to housing projects in Harlem, um, essentially claiming that those locations were part of the same district or neighborhood as where Hudson Yards was so that they could leverage that census data um, to kind of paint a picture of a neighborhood that was underdeveloped and underserved. Um, so from my vantage point, funds that should have been directed, you know, that are, that are for a program that are designed to serve underserved neighborhoods, those funds were um, stolen or, or misappropriated, um, taken away from a neighborhood that it could have actually really benefited from that additional investment. And the development itself, you know, one, it's it's very far from these housing projects in Harlem, but two, it's not, it's not welcoming. It's not serving anyone from that community. It's a it's a very um, monolithic, mega kind of pristine glass, super, super tall development. It looks like it should almost be in Dubai, if you will, um, creating it, a city it, within a city. <laughs> it, it does have a, a scale that, yeah. that is, um, well, 
we're all impacted by scale right mm -hmm. obviously when you walk into an environment but we don't always notice it because the scale is what we might refer to as more human right yes. so it doesn't it's you know um but this doesn't this has a scale that you feel <laughs> you, it feels on top of you and um yep. I, I i make it akin to uh again not to be exclusive in terms of but china um and beijing and Shang, they tend to have these development projects that when you see them compared to what we have in the us they are enormous you know not not, not 280 apartment units but 900 and just mm -hmm. You know, you you could go by a train at a hundred miles an hour, and you're you're clocking the same building <laughs> for a few for a good few seconds, if not, <laughs> like a few minutes, like the same building. So it does have this gigantic non-human um, scale. So I, I that much I do I I completely resonate with. Yeah. and that's and an important that, thought that that scale yeah. sorry to cut you off but that non-human that that goes back to the dehumanizing of development right like goes back to what i experienced in business school when the when the community is reduced down to variable points it's it's not human and the fact that you know this city approved this gerrymandered map knowing very well that this was not um I'll call it ethical um, or an accurate depiction mm -hmm. of um, how a map should be laid out. Again, the human gets lost and the human is no longer the focus. Um, and through my work, I'm really, really invested in bringing the human to the forefront and making them the focus. And going back to this language of abstraction, right? If you look at my work, there aren't figures in the work, but the human is very present. So. Mm. I use um, blue blue painter's tape. Um, it, it's hard to visually describe the work without sure, sure. The, no. the listener <laughs> able to see see images. But essentially, um, in my collage work, I well, this is a good opportunity to talk but, about my but, process. But yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Since and since it is, why why don't we give them your website right now? So if somebody okay. did want to, let's, let's insert your website right now so they could actually see this. Um, could see Perfect. your work. What is your website? So it's it's lindsaybritton.com, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-B-R-I-T-T-A-I-N.com. Um, and if you're unable to see the images, um, just a, a quick overview of my process, you can get an idea of um, how I work and, and yeah. why I'm having this dialogue. But essentially, um, I take photographs. Um, of the urban built environment and create these architectural abstractions. Um, I, I bring in um, a lot of mixed media. So I work with cement a lot, um, also paint and other found objects, but I use a blue tape to initially affix or compose these um, abstract compositions of a built environment. So I'm pulling from memory. So what was my um, remembrance of the place. How did I feel in the place? Um, what history is in the place that I want to tell through the work? And I use all of those things. And also referring back to my, my photographs, which make up a lot of the composition of the work. But I use all of these elements to create these abstractions. And the blue tape allows me to move the pieces, the architectural pieces in the painting around, kind of like puzzle pieces, which ties back to 
um, my experience in business school when I was putting together these, these perfect deal structures. So manipulating the data, um, again, the, the, the humans, the community members reduced down to variable points, variables, um, but essentially adjusting this data to create this perfect, perfect development. Um, you know, playing the hand of God, playing the master constructor. constructor. Um, so that's what I'm doing when I'm moving these pieces around. And the blue tape allows me to do that and show that the pieces are movable. At the end of the day, everything gets, you know, permanently affixed. But the blue tape to me represents um, these data points. So when you look at the images, you can almost see um, graph-like, data-like references. But it also represents the community members and those bodies. Um, and, and the blue tape is, again, it, it, the glue that kind of keeps everything together. So it's my way of honoring the community, bringing them to the forefront there on the, the top of the painting um, and, and recognizing them, giving, the rec giving them the recognition that they deserve and that I wish was always present um, when these developments or when these design challenges Excellent. are in place. Yeah, absolutely. And um... You know, the thing that is really apparent here is that there's this cohesive, and I was going, I'm going to still ask you this even, but I think you've, you've answered it in terms of um, how would you like to see the dialogue created from your work, maybe, I wouldn't say interpreted, but um, how would you, how would how do you how would you like to see it in terms of its response? Is it able to do anything towards this? I know we talked about architects and and design being limited, mm -hmm. but, but bringing this bridge or bringing this you, your the cohesiveness I'm talking about is you center the human and you're centering the human in every stage, and it goes back to this dialogue around the design process and if the human let's not say human let's say the person who we are supposedly designing for is not mm -hmm. in that process or is not a human in the process but a number a population mm -hmm. uh, a warm derriere in a seat or, or, or something in a queue, you know, we're missing something. Um, and you reinsert in all of this, even if it's abstracted, this, the, the, the importance of the human. Also, I've seen in the work, the absence of the human. <clears throat> but let's just come back before, because I can go down a rabbit hole with this one. But, but let's just come back to, you know, if, if, there, if there were or was something that could change by your work being out in the world in the way that you deliver it and create it, could you verbalize that for us? I can. Um, again, like I'm, I don't have the answers and I'm still trying to figure this out, um, but one, I want the work to serve as an archive of a moment in time and of, an his, of a history. So I want my work, you know, artwork is, is archival. It, it should last way beyond my life um, and hopefully for lifetimes to come. And I want somebody to be able to look at this painting and say, all right, Harlem in 
let's just 2020, this is what the built environment looked like. These are the stories um, that were important. These are stories that are embedded in that history. Again, I'm with the intent of not wanting to lose history of um, neighborhoods, specifically black and brown neighborhoods as they change over time because the change is just happening so fast. So one is an archive. Two, I want people when they experience my work to reflect on how the work makes them feel, but also how the built environment makes them feel. I think the beauty of architecture and design is that it, it physically, it psychologically, it socially, it economically impacts how we live, how we feel, how we experience things. Absolutely. And I think sometimes people, a lot of times people aren't aware of that. They can't articulate it. They don't recognize it. They absolutely. So they have they no idea why they don't feel well. They have right, no they idea have... why they don't feel well. And it's yep, they... by design. Maybe, as I said, maybe the intention wasn't for them to not feel well, but the consequences mm -hmm. of what was realized in the design, it does make people sick. It, yep. to, put it, to put it bluntly. Literally sick. And, and yes. depending on where one is geographically, and we know there's enough data to support this in terms of the economic wherewithal or the socioeconomic demographic, these things begin to change and different emphasis becomes, or things that are not emphasized become emphasized even when we're talking about human beings, yep. but we classify human beings differently and then start to treat, you know, <laughs> they get different treatments. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, but I told you, but let me zip it, continue. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's, that's, that's spot on. Like it, it design and architecture and, and urban planning, it has that power. And oftentimes people aren't able to understand why they, they're sick, why they're feeling these ways but maybe the art will, will give them a different perspective or will ignite something or spark something that um, makes everything kind of click or make it make sense. Or maybe it'll cause someone to ask someone else a question that leads to something else. I just feel like art is, is, a, is a different approach, um, again, that is, that is more open, um, that more people might or might not be able to oh. relate to mm -hmm. um, or be able to find themselves in the work. Um, yeah. Artism, I call this art, I say art is an elective. Mm -hmm. You know, we, you, you, art can bring to you some very, very, very heavy, disturbing, very difficult, difficult subjects to, to the forefront or maybe for you to interact with or deal with. But again, I say it's elective. If it's too much, you could turn around and walk away. Mm -hmm. um, and, or it holds a space that sometimes allows something that's very heavy, very difficult under a different context, but it allows it to be approached. So, exactly. you know, it, it's definitely, it's certainly, certainly it, it is an efficient tool. It's, 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 a, it's a tool to do that, especially in these, instances where people may not be well not just we're not aware right we all fall into areas of where we lapse and we're not aware especially when something is ubiquitous especially when something you know it's almost like um, you know some people have a chronic illness 
um, and it's chronic. So they don't even know how it feels to feel well. They just mm -hmm. feel this way every day. And they go through life like that every day. And not until they feel well do they realize what the chronic illness is that they've been suffering and they don't know an alternative. And I think your work is approaching this um, and unsuccessfully so. It's, it's creating a dialogue. You, you're, and you're coming from a very, very deep knowledge set. You know, you're coming from a business set. You're coming from the MFA. You understand the economics, which th these are the underlying systems mm -hmm. that I think, um, well, those are the underlying systems that incentivize and disincentivize, which is all part of design. As, right. as if we're talking about economics, that's actually what we're designing, incentives and disincentives. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the art allows the, you know, use me as an example, right? I was an eager student, well-intentioned, and I participated in this, this class and this development making, design making that I thought was doing good. And it took me being removed from that class, um, exploring those ideas and those feelings and those thoughts through my artwork to fully realize what had happened. So I, I kind of feel that again, going back to like the power of, of art, um, it allows people to get outside of their narrow focus and see things a little differently. And maybe, maybe I'm being naive again, but I'm optimistic. <laughs> Once people can, can maybe start to see the other side or start to see, um, Yeah, start to see things differently. Um, people can come together to to make a positive, positive change. Because at the end of the day, I, I do think most people mean well, right? But I'd like to think so. But then there's that. <laughs> I but really then, don't, I then don't really... the, yeah, the profit the profit comes in, right? And that's well, enticing. Yes. And you yes. need it. It needs it. It fuels the system, right? Like you need to make money to be able to do these projects. So. Mm -hmm. I, I get it. I'm not. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it. But how can how can this yeah. be done better? Is the question. Right. And, and, and I think before we, we, we wrap up, maybe I think that's something I would like to hear from you, because, you know, I don't think really we, could, you know, 20 or 30 minutes could do us do justice for all of the knowledge <laughs> sets that you have. And, and, and that's something I want to explain also to the audience and to the listeners. This is really a, a, a multidisciplinary knowledge set, and it's not real. It's not a superficial treatment at all. There's a it, there's a depth to it and a cohesiveness. And as as Lindsay said, you're 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 bridging this. But next, like you know, um, I would say that it's a form of activism. Mm -hmm. um, so what would what's next what's next in this mission if we can call it that you know i think yeah. you, what's next in your mission if we can share so, so the activism piece or you know this is a i feel like it's a popular term right now but the social practice that's tied to my work is very very important to me again like i, I don't have the answers um i'm not sure that anybody does but i hope that during my time on earth, I can help us get closer to the answers. And I think 
because I have a unique background and because I have a unique skill set, I can bring all of those those tools and skill sets together um, to try to bring other people together. I I look to um, Rick Lowe and Theaster Gates as as examples of artists that have a deep social practice when it yeah. comes to you know making a tangible impact in a built environment. Um, and Con- I, I don't necessarily. So yep. congregating yep. them and, and, and allowing them actually to feel the power of a design with them in mind. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just recently in the Black Chapel in uh, oh. Serpentine, UK. And, um, and this is why I just have to say that sitting there watching local Londoners, maybe visitors or whatever, using the space, and I just remember in my particular instance, I was having a, my cafe, my, my, my latte <laughs> there <laughs> and my, my pan au chocolate. I said, it never looked so good in a, in a building <laughs> before. And this young lady with her um, young child just there for well over an hour. And you could see the almost the, it was meditative. Mm-hmm. Every single person, when they walked into the space. Now, there's nothing, no sign. It's not a church or anything. I mean, there's no, any. it's a structure. But when they walked into it, the voices lowered. There was a respect mm-hmm. where they, to a whisper, not that anyone was talking, but just like a place for silence to respect other people's enjoyment of it. And people stopped. It was a positive space. Nobody went through it. I didn't, I did not witness. No one walked through it with a, you know, shortcut to the other side. None of these usual maneuvers that we often see in built environment spaces. It it was arresting and it slowed them down and people stopped and they enjoyed. And it was, I'll end here, but it remarkably was, oh my gosh, these, it's for them. Everyone that came in there wore the space like it was theirs. Right. And that's an indicator of a good, good design. And everyone deserves that. I think that's, that's a key piece in this, that that should not, that that level of design and intent should not be exclusive to, you know, people that can afford, you know, million dollar apartments in Hudson Yards, right? Everyone is deserving of, of space the same way architecture and design and urban planning, if done wrong, can be destructive. If done right, it can be healing. Um, and, that, and that's what I want to focus on. Like how, can we, how can we do it right so that there's, there's healing? Wonderful. Well, I definitely say thank you for being here. And this has been really wonderful. One more thing, you yes. know, we've seen examples of artists, non-architects approaching and taking this because you, we said it, you know, Architects, designers alone can't tackle this. Mm-hmm. And I'm optimistic and I like seeing these collaborations where artists, you know, let's hear, this is how a space could feel yep. and getting involved. So I'm being a little cheeky, but <laughs> are we going, is that something that you might actually, we might see from you one day is, is really to be able to walk into an environment that I'm going to claim it and say yes, absolutely. All right, love it. Fantastic. All right, well, there you go. You heard it first here at the uh, FIU Tech Conversations. Tech does not mean you plug it in. Um, 
I could go on and talk to you all day. That just means we'll just have, have another studio. <laughs> And I hope the listeners could understand, you know, and are with us to this point. But I really just wanted to really highlight, you know, here we have the uh, great expertise use utilizing art to treat uh, something in within our system that we know is having a real hard time being treated. And I think you are successfully doing so. And I really look forward to more of what you're doing. And really, and and I've and I've said, you know. Any dialogue, anywhere. Mm -hmm. Let's. I would be happy to participate and 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 further your mission because I think. Thank you. You know, um, we do talk in terms of well-being, but well-being and it, it's an action. And we we have to. Yep. We have to all get involved, and I do believe we're not beating up on architects and designers. I do believe no. that they are really um, trying to come down off the ivory tower per se. Mm -hmm. And, and realizing that there's a lot of intellectual and design capital within the very users and people that they are hoping to design for and totally that they agree. can contribute. Yep, in the same way, you know, art can, it can share a narrative. Architecture has that narrative ability as well. Um, yep. Super powerful. Yep. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Thank you for being here with us. Um, and again, your website, just in closing, in case anybody wants to which I would encourage them to. Yes, it's, it's www.lindsaybritton.com, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-B-R-I-T-T-A-I-N.com. Perfect. All right, wonderful. Have a beautiful day. You too. Thank you for joining us.